Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. In today's episode, I speak with Pete Austin, Assistant Director of Marketing and Communication at Imperial War Museums. We discuss the emotive marketing campaign developed for the opening of the new Second World War and Holocaust galleries, the innovation marketing strategy that IWM has adopted, and what innovation actually means. If you like what you hear, subscribe on all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Pete, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. No worries. Happy to be here. Maybe you won't be after the icebreakers. Although I feel like (laughs) I've been quite kind. Right, I want to know, what was the last song that you played on your Spotify account or other music streaming account? Oh, that would be a song by Tom O'Dell called Heal, which makes me sound quite, you know, uh, Indian alternative. That's actually because I just finished watching Jiri Haji. I don't know if you pronounce it like that, but there was a show a couple of years ago, um, Japanese show um, in in London and Tokyo. It's on the BBC, um, but there's this song that kept popping up in it. And so I had to find out what it was. And it's Tom O'Dell, Heal. So um, that's the last song I listened to. Is that not your normal kind of music tastes though um it's not far off I quite like I quite like um you know indie indie music but I also just like a lot of different music so you know it depends on your mood and I know that's a bit of a cop-out but genuinely anything you could have asked me a few days ago it could have been Bon Jovi while I was cleaning the bathroom (laughs) because that is what you listen to yeah exactly So, yeah, so at, you asked me on a day where I could appear cool, although I've now undone all that by mentioning Bon Jovi in the bathroom. <laughs> I think that's fine. My, um, I used to have like a running playlist when, back in the day when I used to run. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And um, I, I had Eye of the Tiger on there because it was my, it was my eight mile track. And that was like, yeah. I really need to get through this eight yeah. mile. I need some motivation. Maybe yeah. Bon Jovi would have done that for me as well. Maybe. Depends on the song. Depends <laughs> on the song. <laughs> All right. If you could have an extra hour of free time every single day, what would you use that free time for? I'd like to say, you know, something like playing guitar or writing or doing something I should be or feel like I should be doing, but probably would just end up just sitting and having a coffee. And like, I'd love that time in the morning when you kind of can just chill out and have a chat and before the day starts. So I'd like a bit more of that time before I get into it, probably. But yeah. yeah. It's nice, isn't it? A coffee yeah. and a magazine or a coffee and a book, just, you know, an hour of complete indulgence in something yeah. that you don't have to be productive for, you just yeah. enjoy. Yeah, 100%. And I think I oft, I'm one of those people quite hard on myself about how I use my time as well. So even that question kind of brings me out in kind of uh, sweats as well. You're just like, well, what, what would I do with that time? How would I make sure it's as productive as possible? <laughs> Um, yeah. we don't always have to be hustling people, I know I know <laughs> I know all right what is the worst advice you've ever been given <laughs> the worst advice I've ever been given um I've been given some probably some awful advice I think a, a bit of a cop-out but I kind of went through school and didn't and, and sixth form and didn't really have any advice <laughs> on what to do next and you know like I'm probably of an age when a kind of um, careers advisor was probably quite a new thing. And I definitely didn't have any of that. So the worst, I suppose it's not the worst advice, but I got a lot of people telling me, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about university. Do worry about university. It was very, very, all very mixed. And I know everyone kind of carves their own path, but 
um, when I look back now and, and especially with, you know, friends and, and children of friends with that's kind of getting to that age, I'm like, just, just help them through it, like help them decide what they want to do. Like, so it's not necessarily worst advice, but definitely a, um, a kind of absence of advice. Yeah, I think, absence of advice is probably worse than bad yeah, advice though, yeah. right? Like not you having know, a clue yeah. what to do. Well, that's an awful advice, you know, just generally in life about go to this pub, don't go to that pub. <laughs> you know, you go into that pub like, why, why did I listen to this person? And so it's often when you, when you take that advice, you realise through the lens with which it's given. So you're standing in the world's dodgiest pub going, oh, this is why that person told me to go here, because they would fit in here. <laughs> we will put the name of this pub in the show notes after for everyone to, yeah, to yeah. It's probably not just one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pete, what is your unpopular opinion? What have you got lined up for us? My unpopular opinion, it came to me quite quite quickly, and then I thought, oh, whether, whether I can really say it. My unpopular opinion, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get disowned by the entire nation, <laughs> But is that Sunday roasts are a bit of a scam? Oh, what on earth? Honestly, this is the this is the second time this has happened, and I, is it? I cannot believe this. Well, firstly, I think I, I, to defend my position, I am coming at it mainly from the point of view of when you go to a pub and have a Sunday roast. So, especially in London where I live, um, you know, it's like nearly eighteen quid for for two slices of meat and some vegetables. So that's a, that's a joke in itself. Although, you know, that could be extended to a lot of, you know, pub and restaurant food. But I just don't understand it. And um, yeah, my wife, she's, um, she's Greek-Australian. She came over from Australia. She's got Greek parents. Um, she like, is baffled by the notion that the roast as a concept doesn't make any sense. And when you really start to think about some of the stuff we do as a country and as a nation, you start to question it. So yeah, that's my unpopular opinion. Uh, I've even tried like uh, defiantly to like ignore it and I've cooked roasts I've made roasts big beef joints big big lamb joints and stuff but it's just I don't understand it it's a lot of effort and I'm not sure what you get out of it at the end of the day oh god I I don't I'm not even going to try and start thinking about it because everyone's going to ruin it it genuinely it's my one of my favorite things is to go for I think it's because my partner is a wedding photographer so he works a lot on Fridays and Saturdays and so Sunday's always been our like right we'll go out and do something and we love go to the pub a few beers and a Sunday oh, roast that bit. that bit yeah the pub, the pub <laughs> bit okay but cut out the roast for you I'm not going to think about this too deeply because it will ruin my favorite day of the week Pete. So. okay I'm but sorry. you got you are you know you should speak to Neil Dolan from uh, Madame Tussauds because he had exactly the same yeah. opinion and he'd rather have a pizza so it's plenty yeah. of weird that's all I'm saying I just uh, but just for the record and clar- for clarity I love one of my favorite things is a British pub one of my favourite things is the pub, um, you know, everything about it. The older, the better, the cosier, the dingier, the better. Um, so it's just the roast bit. All right. So we can go for a beer. Yeah. We you just can have your roast. Go, we go for, go for the roast. It's fine. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. We're, we're all friends here, Pete. <laughs> all right. Okay. So we want to talk about marketing today and, mm-hmm. and innovation in marketing. Yeah. But I want to set the scene about why we're talking today. So back in October 2021, to mark the 80th anniversary of the outbreak of the Second World War, Imperial War Museums opened new Second World War and Holocaust galleries. Now, the marketing campaign for this launch was incredibly emotive. And um, I think it's it's fair to say that neither of us expected to be speaking about this topic whilst there is an unjust war raging in Ukraine. So it is, it's very important that we acknowledge that. But last week, I actually saw a connection share one of these images on LinkedIn. And it 
it felt scarily relatable for for what those people are actually going through right at this moment in time. Can you can you just kind of talk us through those images to set the scene of what we're talking about, Pete? Yeah, of course. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, and we could obviously share it as well, but we kind of took the decision, as you say, we were we were opening the um, Second World War and Holocaust Galleries at Imperial War Museum London. Um, massive, in, ma- massive investment, massive moment for the for the museum, and um, the idea was that we wanted to kind of do break away from the kind of traditional museum marketing, which, as we all know, is kind of you know spotlight object and put the poster up. It's challenging with our t- subject matter to do that anyway, because lots of our objects, even themselves, require so much context. So we're always in a bit of a tricky boat on that front, anyway. But we also wanted to innovate, and we'll come on to that in a minute, I'm sure. But the, the images that we used to kind of juxtapose against each other was a 1941 image of Londoners sheltering in a tube station uh, during the Blitz. And we cre- we recreated that photograph as closely as we possibly could um, and bring it up to date. So, for example, people were sat looking at their phones, um, you know, they had their laptop cases, um, sat there with hoodies on, whatever they would have probably had to do if they had to go and shelter, if there was an air raid, air raid siren. So we recreated that image and we didn't recreate it with any kind of drama added or, or any kind of, you know, artistic license. It was really just to try and bring up to date and make relevant what normal people went through during that time. And this idea of it happened to people like you on a day like today was the tag. And that's very much what we tried to do with the image. It was created, it was shot by, an amazing conflict photographer called Hazel Thompson. So we actually even got that kind of level of authenticity about how it would have been approached. And it it formed the hero image for the campaign. We did some other assets as well, but that's the main image. And that was really what we were trying to do was try and put people into feeling how how it would have felt then and that's a really challenging thing to do with that subject matter for obvious reasons yeah I mean it is in, it's incredibly emotive as I said to to look at this picture because you can see yourself in it you know you can see somebody that looks like you you yeah. can see that you know they would have been on their way to work or on their way home at that point in time you know they've got the things that you would be carrying with them they're wearing the clothes that you would be wearing and it is it is quite frightening to kind of be able to visualize yourself in that situation I mean is that is that what you were trying to achieve with it you know to to kind of make make people feel like this this literally could happen to them like this yeah yeah well I think it's a it's a hard one and with us we're never trying to make people feel how it feels to be in any situation across our entire remit and our remits first world war to contemporary conflict right up to the present day because one, that's impossible to do. And two, it, it's, it would be incredibly distasteful to try and replicate that kind of stuff. So we've got, a very, we've, we've got a very fine line to tread editorially anyway. What we're always trying to do, however, is to make things relevant and create resonance with the audience that, that makes, just makes them think about what it would have been like then. And the easiest way to do that is to try and put it into people's worlds. So... It's a, it is a very challenge. We, I mean, the, we went through extensive editorial processes on this because there are some images that you simply couldn't recreate or bring up to date, you know, or put into the 21st century, you know, put, put into 2022 or 2021 without it just being a leap too far. And this was what, but this, this idea of the mundane, the mundanity of war in a way, like the, how it affects your every day. We've all seen those striking images from from the front line 
and they're incredibly harrowing. They're cr- incredibly emotional. But what we try, what we're trying to do with this is try and say this affected everyone. It was a global war. It would have affected you. It would have affected you differently to someone in a different country or down the road, even. But it would have affected you. And it's trying to get that relevance across because the Second World War is falling out of living memory now. The Holocaust and the Second World War. It's you know, it's 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 becoming. It, the only way to tell those stories will soon be through museums and through through kind of archives and, and through objects um so so we just needed to make it make it resonate really which it certainly did i mean the launch campaign was uh, i mean an incredible success in terms of the the, the press coverage and, and and obviously what it yeah. did for the launch of the of the galleries itself yeah. was this part of um, and we touched on innovation earlier was this the start of your kind of innovation marketing strategy because that's mm. something that you've tried to to do a lot more of in, in the organization yeah. it wasn't actually the start we started so the strategy was signed off in 2018 i think um the first major campaign we did um which had an innovation at the heart of the strategy and by the way innovation is quite literally written into the strategy so that's a brilliant place to start um and a, and a great thing to have that kind of endorsement and and um a mandate the first campaign we did was a campaign for an exhibition at IWM North, um, which is in Salford, uh, about Yemen. And that was a different one as well. And it comes back to that idea of how we can really bring it into people's lives, how you can make it resonate, how you can talk in the language of, of people that are going to visit the exhibition. And for that, we did a kind of um, a public marketing stunt where we put a vending machine in the middle of Manchester Piccadilly Station. And the vending machine had all of the objects you'd expect to find in a vending machine, but they were all priced at the kind of multiplication of the inflation um, of the price of food that was currently in supermarkets in Yemen. So one of the big issues with the the Yemen conflict, especially at that time, was that it was an economic famine. So, you know, there was food on the shelves, but no one could afford it. So we were trying to bring that idea to people who were just getting off their, their train in the morning, coming to Manchester Piccadilly, rushing up to our vending machine, trying to buy a bottle of water, for like 15 pounds and then talking to them and going you know obviously there's an exhibition on where you can find out lots more information about this but not just that this kind of like public service remit explaining what was behind it so we did that and in, in fact that our campaign for that uh, outdoor campaign the, the assets and the creative was all around like like a kind of fake supermarket price reduction campaign so we had a box of eggs that were like you know, reduced from £32 to £28 or something like that. And people would look at it and go, what the hell is that? Um, so we started with that and we've done a couple of others. But then, yeah, it was a big move to go from a relatively small exhibition at IWM North to one of the, you know, the, the opening of our new permanent galleries at IWM London. But we just believe in this approach and we've seen the results of this approach. So the, for the Second World War and Holocaust galleries, you know, we were like, for visitors over the first two weeks, we were like 19% up on, on what we were supposed to get. So we got out there and we, we got, got into people's um, psyches, I think. That's brilliant. So it had a, a really positive effect on yeah. it. You know, it achieved the, the remit that you you'd yeah. set for it. How do you, uh, uh, this, is like, this is probably a massive question, but like, you don't wake up one morning and go, right, we're going to be more innovative and, um, and everyone's going to give us the budgets to do this as well. You know, how do you, embed that culture of innovation into your strategies and into the into the marketing teams yeah it's 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 a process for sure um i think the first thing to say is that when i joined iwm 
IWM was was doing brilliantly. This wasn't innovation through need of like you know just changing everything or overhauling everything. It's kind of the end. Of, I came in kind of twenty seventeen. It's towards the end of the First World War centenary. Obviously, you know, massive program of of activity. But one of the things and one of the the main drivers for the innovation strategy is that we have a really strong core audience, but we want to develop um, new audiences. And to develop new audiences, you have to look at how you're doing things and potentially do things slightly differently. So the first step was taking on board that kind of which, you know, I'm the senior owner for our kind of audience growth strategy. So having a look at those audiences in which we want to grow, who they are and how to reach them. Because obviously innovation is great, but innovation isn't just about like having loads of fun and trying things. You have to have a strategy behind it as well. So step one was really looking at that audience growth strategy and saying, right, these are the audiences we want to reach and we've got to innovate. And it's interesting you mentioned budgets there because part of the innovation is really to try and do it within the existing budgets. Because actually the opposite of innovation would just be investment because we could just say look you you know i'm a marketeer you you want to reach these audiences give me give me a massive pot of cash and i'm sure i can reach them but that wasn't an option obviously so it was a case of how we innovate within what we currently do and that was a massive massive driver so to use the second world war and holocaust galleries example we got double our spend almost by by creating something that was a moment that also got media coverage that also became something within itself that people were talking about so there's the marketing spend the marketing uh kind of application so we you know the marketing mix out of home digital plus the press we got so it's really bringing that marcoms together but step one was going to the to the um exec board and to the trustees and saying i want to put innovation at the heart of our marketing strategy and here's why um evidence with data that says that innovating in these ways would be reaching new audiences and, and that's definitely um, definitely something that started to happen. Where did the data come from? Was that just researching the the the, the target audience that you were trying to get get more of? Yeah, we we do we do a lot of data research, marketplace data. So um, we had our marketplace data. We had some existing segments. Um, we had to rationalise them. We had to really examine whether they were the right ones we were going after. One of the jobs I did when I came in was to really look at how much kind of how how well we penetrated those segments. Because to be honest, some of them we were over-investing in and, and getting under return. Um, so it was really about rationalizing those um, and getting the organization on board with them as well. So um, part of the issue I had with, with the, the kind of um, the, the first round of the audience strategy was that there was a lot of different audiences. And, and now we're like, right, we've got a core audience and it's across all five branches of the Imperial War Museums. Um, and we've also got these development audiences as well, which we know a lot about. We know how they behave. We've also gone through enough cycles now to plug that back into how they behave when they've come to the museum. They're no longer just a hypothetical audience, um, you know, on a, on a pen portrait sat out there in the world. They're coming through the museum now. Um, and we can tell, we, we can say more about what our versions of those development audiences look like and what they want to see in marketing, what they want to, resonate with what they most engage with when they come to the branch what do they most want to go and see so building up this picture is kind of alongside this innovation strategy so we can then really plug it into that um, and amplify the results so how do you kind of empower your your team to be more innovative like how do you where do the ideas come from how do you kind of create that 
you know, yeah. the, you, you mentioned the campaign that you had with the vending machine. I think that's it's incredibly innovative, and I can see the power of that. You know, I can I can see myself walking up to it and being really interested yeah. in it. Now, where do the ideas come from? Is it is it a team collab yeah. like a collaborative effort? A hundred percent, yeah. It's definitely within the team. So, marketing, communications, and, and the digital team as well. Um, and actually, a, a, an idea can come from from anywhere in the organisation. It genuinely is, is democratic when it comes to where the ideas come from um, and often it's it's a collaborative process so the vending machine the vending machine idea started life within the team but it didn't start life as a vending machine it started life as that was the idea of what if there was a whole shop that you went into and where you couldn't afford anything which wasn't a massive um, kind of cere- cerebral link because uh, sorry leap because you know that is what we were seeing in Yemen. But but then we were like, well, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, we can't do a branch of Tesco, that would be a, quite an expensive marketing campaign. Um, so then the vending machine idea came through. Then there are the amazing people in the team, the marketing team, um, who were, you know, had to deal with the very interesting ins and outs of, I don't know, there was even stuff around, like, obviously there was really basic stuff like, you know, where do we buy the food from? You know, what do we put in it? What should the actual calculations be? Because obviously, you know, the inflation is a figure, but it's not necessarily a universally defined figure. So we had to kind of make it roughly accurate. You know, what do you do with the food afterwards? You can't, you know, you can't, there's so much stuff we had to think about, but but the but the, the ideas come from anywhere and they come from largely within the marketing communications digital team. But they really just get brought to life through collaboration across those teams. I'm so lucky to have such amazing teams that do that. I mean, obviously what you've been doing, the strategy has really mm. resonated with the audience that you're trying to, because you, because you've seen the, the campaigns have been successful and you've had yeah. people come through the door that you've, you're wanting to attract, but it feels like it, it might've really invigorated the team internally as well. You know, there's, there's a much more opportunity to be creative within yeah. the budgets that you have much more opportunity to yeah. collaborate. And it, it feels quite exciting. Yeah, hopefully. You'd have to ask them. <laughs> um, no, it is exciting. I think I think there's also, there is a bit of a misnomer about, about what innovation really means as well, though. So we had to go through a process of kind of term definition and myth busting. Now, yeah. the vending machine is, is almost, the, for the sake of trying to explain to the team what innovation is, um, it's almost a bad example because it is, it's totally new. It's totally uh, it's it's totally something the museum hasn't done before. It's a stunt, you know. And I think sometimes innovation is seen as well, well, marketing stunt. I was like, well, that's not necessarily innovation, you know. Putting a putting a wrap um, all around Oxford Oxford Circus tube for for Stranger Things, the next series, you know, that's not innovation. That's called having millions of pounds. So I, I wanted to get into the team that innovation doesn't have to mean big public stunts. And a really good example of one member of the team innovated something that was so simple, um, but it was such a great example. I keep using it about, obviously, we've got vending machines. You know, we put a, a, a Spitfire in London Bridge Station for D-Day 75. This is all innovative, but it's also big and it's stunty. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily what it's all about. One of the members of the teams was seeing that we actually put a lot of marketing spend or, or maybe not a lot, but more than we'd want to into kind of um, shoots and, and modeling shoots for our campaigns. And we weren't always getting, you know, you know, the classic example or classic kind of point is that, you know, you put people in your marketing that you want to come into your museum. So we were, we're not always getting what we wanted and it was always a challenge. And she was like, look, we've got loads of volunteers 
who are people though massively engaged with the museum they do look like our audience and a lot of them look like who we want our audience to look like there's there's a pool there they're engaged they want to be involved so she started this pool of models within our volunteer group to be in our marketing and that's just a great example of how that is exactly what we're innovating to try and innovate to do which is to diversify our audience by making people see themselves in our marketing not a model family no matter what they look like you know they don't look like necessarily like um you know like people that people like themselves and it also cuts down on marketing spend which means we can invest it into yeah. reaching wider audiences so that's such a tiny example but i was really pleased when that came through because i was trying to get across to the group that innovation isn't about just going wild and having fun and seeing how it works and if it doesn't don't worry about it I was like no we're we're still we still have to be incredibly like um uh, strategic about this and obviously responsible about it as well we didn't get given I didn't get given any extra money to enact this in- innovation marketing so that was almost the well if you want to do it you've got to innovate on that front as well yeah that is such a perfect example because I think when the word innovation is thrown into the mix you you do automatically go oh it has to be something new it has to be something that we've never done before and it does have to be big you know a real statement piece and I think that's what scares potentially some museums or scares organizations because that sounds expensive and that sounds frightening and nobody likes big change right but something like that that's an amazing way of being able to innovate and it saved you money and you know it doesn't have to be big and shiny and flashy but it's it's absolutely perfect yeah well I love that example because don't get me wrong you know well that we we've done some amazing big things as well and you know the second world war and holocaust galleries poster is a is the really the biggest thing we've done because it was the biggest risk because you know essentially uh, our senior leadership and trustees were signing off a non-traditional museum marketing campaign for the biggest thing the museum's done since the first world war galleries at IWM London so that was big and that was innovative and it's seen great results and as we mentioned you know earlier on through absolutely no foresight or 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 kind of you know nothing we, we saw coming it's perhaps even more resonant and relevant right now and that's great. But yeah, those smaller things about innovating, and that was the big process I was talking about going through with the teams. Like you've got it, you can innovate processes, you can innovate anything that efficient makes the marketing more efficient. We get more, more spend available. We can put it into reaching those new audiences. It can, it doesn't have to be on that front line of the creative for the campaign. It could be way further back. You know, we've innovated some process, really small internal processes as well about how we do things, how we collaborate. So it hasn't all been this, all singing, all dancing, nominated for awards stuff. It's been this kind of behind the scenes stuff too. This is what I was going to ask you, because I think, you know, that it's it's difficult to, to know how you gauge the, the innovation strategy is, is successful. But I guess yeah. there's two strands to it, isn't it? And you've talked a little bit about, you know, the campaigns that you've done. They've achieved what you'd set out to in terms of getting the numbers through the doors. But I guess there's the other strand of internal processes, like you say, have been improved. So how do you... How do you know if what you've done has really hit the mark? How do you look at, you know, what the KPIs are and whether it's achieved that? Yeah. Well, we set KPIs and we set targets like we do for for all of our campaigns. And, you know, because the innovation element of the the marketing is so intertwined with the whole campaign, in essence, you know, we wouldn't reach KPIs if it wasn't working. But that's kind of like how we look back on the campaign and see how it worked. But 
I think if I just look back at how long the organisations had these development audiences in place and, and how we've hit target for different campaigns, we've definitely seen since we took this new approach, we've hit targets and, and overachieved. But also, interestingly, it's kind of it's hard to attribute that success directly just to the kind of the marketing, obviously, because part of that innovation, part of what happens in an organisation when you get that senior level sign off for this approach is you then have to start having conversations with the exhibitions team, the design team, uh, the curators. It then becomes, it genuinely kind of becomes cultural. So for example, then you're not sat there just receiving the next exhibition or season and, and being asked how to market it. Because you've had these conversations, you're helping to lead that conversation. You're, you know, you're helping to embed that from the start. And, you know, it's nice to hear now when it's referenced as a, you know, well, Pete's strategy or this strategy that that we've got to do, how would it fit to this if we were doing this thing? And then the great thing about that is if you're starting from that process, the KPIs are even easier to reach because you're not pushing up a hill anymore. You're kind of, it's all happening together. But the crucial thing for us as well, and it kind of comes back to that point you said about what other organizations could do or 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 like how it all started is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think one of the big things about innovation is people are scared of it because they're like, well, hang on a minute. I don't want to massively affect what's going really well already. And we definitely didn't do that. We've still got, if you look at IWM's output, we've not stopped doing what we think is really appealing to our core audiences. Mm. We still do a lot of that. This is also happening alongside it and to complement it. And it's crucial that you can kind of do that sensitively as well. So, yeah, so that's really important, isn't it? Because you can't kind of, it's not go, it's not all in one or all in the no. other. You've got to have this as part of a, a kind of intertwined strategy, I guess, with the the, the core audience that you have who are um, and maybe not going to be as kind of engaged with some of the more innovative things that you've done. Yeah. What would you do differently? Is there anything that you've learned while you've been through the process that you think that you would have done in a different way? Um, you can say no if you feel like you've nailed it. <laughs> no nothing no I think I think I would have I think it was a really really collaborative process but there were definitely areas of the museum I would have engaged earlier in in this process I think uh you know ideal world I would have sat down with everyone one by one and we'd have talked about what this means and their hopes and dreams and fears for what innovation in marketing means. And I think it was sometimes hard for me to have conversations with perhaps curators and people that were working, you know, because often this manifested itself in the marketing for for an exhibition. Um, So, you know, these people are in this day in, day out, like, and for something like Yemen as well, not necessarily this is an example, but but for something like Yemen, these are curators who are actively trying to bring objects back from a live conflict. They are to say they're invested and in and to say they're kind of absolutely in this would be an understatement. I mean, some of the stories they could tell you would be amazing about how we get these objects back from essentially a live conflict zone. So then to say to someone, I'm going to put a vending machine in Manchester Piccadilly Station and the poster for your exhibition that you've probably almost risked your life on is going to be a box of eggs. Is like, okay, that's not the time to have that conversation. (laughs) The time to have that conversation was 12 months earlier and say, and and really talk it through. But then, you know, 12 months earlier, the the strategy hadn't been signed off. So I think I, I would have just tried to 
speak to teams that were actively involved in the in whatever product it would be that that we were doing the innovation marketing for as early as possible. And the great thing now is that everyone knows this, and we're in a process. And you know, for example, the Second World War and Holocaust galleries that was our we set out our ambition to do that kind of campaign from the very start. You know, pre-COVID, that was our plan, and then we ended up delivering it in in October last year. So that's a great example of how it does work. But you know, the challenge is, is getting those people on board and, and helping to understand why you're doing things and also, also crucially understand why you're not not doing it. You know, it's not just, yeah. like I said, for a laugh or just because it's more fun. It's like this will genuinely resonate more with the audience we want to visit the exhibition. So, I mean, the crux of it comes down to communication, communication, yeah. communication with anything yeah. like this. There will be other museums, there will be other attractions out there that are thinking that, that there's something different that they need to do because we're everyone's in a situation now where they have a core audience, but yes, they do need to look at new audiences coming through and how they're going to attract those. What advice would you give to other museums at this point who are thinking they would like to be more innovative about the campaigns that they're launching? Oh yeah. I think my advice would always would be start with the audience you're trying to reach. Um, And that's what we did. And that's really where it was all born from really looking at this, the audience growth strategy that we've got in place and, and go, well, you know, how do we want to reach them? And do we need to innovate to reach them? Or do we just need to keep doing what we're doing, but do it slightly differently? And I know that's technically as innovating, but it's not really. It's like, you know, do we just need a slightly different marketing mix? It's not innovation. I'd really, I'd, I'd root everything in that. We had, a, we had some audiences that we ended up reaching way more effectively than we thought. We had some that we didn't. This is kind of like what I, that was the kind of landscape I was coming into. So it's really a case of trying to work out um, and crucially agreeing with the organization who you should be targeting and then whether you really need to innovate to to do it I think you definitely definitely need buy-in you need senior buy-in um, it's not something not that any strategy is but something like this is definitely not something you can just do because if you just do it and you don't do it with a plan for how you're going to continue to keep doing it then it's just a flash in the pan and it's the very definition then of a of a stunt rather yeah. than a strategy I was very fortunate in that the senior team and, and trustees were on board with this idea and this this approach. And then I suppose, just to come back to that point I made earlier, it's like, don't overhaul, change things. Don't don't go too far. Innovation doesn't mean chucking everything now and starting again. It can mean tweaks. You know, it can just mean, how are we going to innovate in this this one area? You know, it's like a research and design department in a way, just, you know, focus on on one area at a time if you want to just see see where the results might come without affecting the entire organization um there's no way we'd have started any of this with the second world war and holocaust galleries and maybe even if yemen didn't reach over visitor target and you know the the campaign didn't get as much press and didn't didn't get as much attention as it got maybe we wouldn't have carried on with it it's just we would have always reflected and worked out whether that was the right thing to be doing we're not carrying on like belligerently in the face of it, the whole world telling us it's not working this is kind of this is kind of the, the process we're going through they communicate and then actually listen to what your audience is telling yeah. you <laughs> yeah just basics good advice Kate <laughs> yeah um what's coming up next for IWN what interesting things are happening in the next few months oh we've got a we've got a lot going on um like all visitor attractions and museums, we're we're just getting back up and running. Really, we're really enjoying that. We've got a big exhibition um, coming up at IWM London later this year um, on wargaming, so that should be really interesting. 
and yeah like you know trying to 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 kind of get people back onto HMS Belfast, you know, onto the ship on the Thames, summer campaigns around that, you know, more activity, especially for families, getting people used to going out again, visiting London, going to those big attractions. Um, Churchill War Rooms, we're, we're, you know, we're slightly revising the offer at Churchill War Rooms with a view to getting more more people back there. Hopefully international tourists come back, you know, that's right. a common common theme and common thread with, with all your guests and, and all of the discussions around the sector. And yeah, just really kind of getting things up and running again and, and getting people back, I suppose. Um, and interestingly as well, like, you know, not to make a big point about it, but for us as well, we're looking at how we do or, or don't react and reflect and contextualise the current world events. You know, we have a we have a role and a remit and our role and remit is to to, to really kind of deepen understanding of of these conflicts and, and how the, how a conflict starts and how it, how it progresses and, and the, the impact on people's lives. And I don't think we can necessarily ignore what's going on no. at the moment in Ukraine. So as an organisation, it's how we how we react to that, what, what our role should be. So that's a really interesting live topic at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there's a level of um, sensitivity that needs to run through everything that you're doing in, in terms of that as well. Exactly. We're very well placed for that. I mean, I always joke that we're the experts on dealing with sensitive topics. You know, we, we really do it. We really, really do it every day. You're not the global authority on the Holocaust or, you know, the world's, well, one of the world's most respected second world Holocaust galleries without knowing how to tackle a few tangled subjects. So I think it's something we can do. It's just something we've got to look at how we do it and how we execute it. But yeah, it's a really interesting time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have one more question for you, but I also have a request while I have you here so it's for Duxford which is my local Imperial War Museum okay I'm like 15 minutes away from Duxford right I mean Duxford is fantastic it is it's an awesome place to go and have a look around I'm not necessarily even a plane nut but wow it is it is seriously impressive you do not need to be and we've seen the air show multiple times I had a brilliant evening out at Duxford a few years ago where they had an open air cinema and they showed my favorite film Pete they put Top Gun on. We watched Top Gun, you know, underneath the planes. We had to walk into the hangars to go to the toilet next to all the planes. It was absolutely phenomenal. Can we make that happen again? Can we make that happen? I'm sure put we in can. A word. Yeah, I'll put in, I'll put in a word. Um, yeah, that, those kind of things are amazing, aren't they? Like they, they, they. I'm sure you and anyone that's ever worked in a visitor attraction or an organisation knows how hard those things are to put on as well because they often sit so isolated from you know your your kind of rolling program and all that stuff you know you mentioned air shows there you know you get into a rhythm of of running two three air shows a year and suddenly they're really well-oiled machines and those standalone events are so sometimes a challenge to put on but they're also they're also a massive example of how we can get people in who like you say don't just want to come to necessarily just see the planes um i'll put in a word appreciate Um, that and if uh, <laughs> if we can't do it, we'll just get you to drive in. We'll put a TV screen up. Uh, you can just park your car in front of a, a 40 inch screen. We'll put Top Gun on. And, Great. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm down for that as well. Yeah. Right, Pete, what about a book that you love? We always end the podcast asking our guests if they've got a book that they love that they would like to share with us. Yeah. Um, again, I had a long think about this. So I, I used to be a journalist, so I feel like it kind of reflects on you when you when you were asked about your favourite book. I don't ever really recommend or, or I have any strong recommendations for kind of marketing books. I'm not one of those people. I don't really, I've, I've always been a learner through 
through people teaching and, and you know, listening and engaging and hearing. So I'm not a big um, book person on that front. Um, I think a book that is definitely, I've, I've read at every stage of my life is, is Animal Farm um, by, by George Orwell, I think. And it's meant something at different stages. And I've always come back to it. There's a few books I've always come back to and then maybe I'm not going to reread it. But I've, I've genuinely reread that book so many times. And I just think maybe that's what, you know, maybe early days when I was reading it, you know, Orwell's kind of approach and, and, and kind of commentary was something that made me even want to become a journalist. So, so that's the, that's the main book, but I'm also, um, my wife made me say, that's a great answer. But if anyone ever sees you on holiday, they're going to see you reading a trashy poolside thriller <laughs> and ask why, you're, why you're not reading something from George Orwell's canon. And that is true because I always, like, I don't know about you. When I go away, I don't want to have to think. So no, you want, always, you want escapism. Yeah, so I usually go and go and buy a book, or usually go to the charity shop, grab a the the trashiest trashiest thriller book you can you can get. Um, so yeah, if anyone ever sees me on holiday, they don't expect me to be reading like nineteen eighty four or anything. It's going to be he's got James Patterson on his lap. That's what he's got. Else. Yeah, <laughs> um, I yeah. love it. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you, Pete. That's a great. Uh, uh, great recommendation of a book so as ever if you want to win a copy of um, Pete's book if you go over to our Twitter account and you retweet this episode announcement with the words I want Pete's book then um, you'll be in with a chance of winning it Pete it's been really lovely to have you on the podcast today thank you so much for coming on and sharing um, just for anyone listening what we'll do is Pete will very kindly share me links to all of the things that we've talked about today so you can go and have a look at the campaigns that we've discussed from the show notes please go and visit the Imperial War Museums if you haven't been if you haven't been and you're listening you're mad go um, they are absolutely incredible places to go and learn and understand about the things that have happened to people from the past thanks Pete no worries thank you very much Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.